Welcome everyone to another episode of Ready, Set, Rise. My name is Michael Siervo. Uh, this is a great episode and one of the reasons being is I'm speaking to somebody who really embodies what it means to rise. Actually, rise stands for real individual sharing excellence. And if I were to describe this one guest, one word, actually two words that describes her in my eyes is game changer. Uh, wonderful, wonderful person. Um, but before we start, I just want to share a couple statistics that Seven out of 10 adult victims of criminal harassment were female. Eight out of 10 adult victims of intimate partner violence uh, are, were female. And nine out of 10 adult victims of sexual violence were female, according to RCMP. And in fact, the World Health Organization states that one in three women throughout the world will experience physical or sexual violence by their partner or non-partner. Now, these statistics are really, really shocking. However, it's glad that we have someone in the seat in front of me because she's going to make a change with regards to that. Uh, she was born in Nova Scotia, raised in poverty, and uh, she determined back then that she wanted to make a difference. And at the age of 14, uh, she, along with her siblings, wanted to do something special for their hardworking mother. We're going to touch on that story, which is fantastic. Uh, but that small token of jewelry sparked her mission to empower women. And what started off as a kind gesture turned into a movement that started in Canada and has really traveled all around the world. Her organization is Gems for Gems, and it started in 2015 with the mission to end the cycle of domestic abuse for women and their children. Her efforts have not gone unnoticed, and in fact, it has been recognized uh, throughout uh, Canada. Women of Influence in 2017 has recognized her. Um, she's also been recognized by the True Beauty Foundation for her community work in 2019. Most recently, she's a team lead ambassador of the of the team at United Way uh, uh, earlier this year. And, you know, in the same year, she is awarded by Avenue Magazine as top 40 under 40. She's changed the lives of over a thousand vulnerable women and continues to shine a light during some of the darkest hour of these people. It's an honor and a privilege to introduce such an amazing and wonderful person, my good friend, Miss Jordan Guilford. Thank you so much for having me. It's my honor. No, thank you so much. And welcome to Ready, Set, Rise. Uh, you know, we always kick off every episode by asking our guests, do you have one quote or one motto that uh, embodies what you're all about and that's helped you along your journey? I think that it wouldn't be a shock to you that my uh, typical motto is be the change you want to see in the world. But there's also another one that I have running through my head frequently, and that is when you know better, do better. Hello. And I think, yeah, I think a lot of people become committed to what they're currently doing and lose that interest um, because they lose the belief in themselves that they can do better. But I think we all can and must. Right. You know, that's such a powerful quote, the first one you talked about, because I think everyone inherently wants to do something good. We want to see change. And if we're not part of the solution, we're part of the problem, right? So I think it's powerful the fact that you use that as your mantra and your your, uh, your slogan moving forward in life. Now, let's just take a, a quick time machine. Let's go back in a time machine all the way back from when you were born. I was reading your, your bio, and it described your upbringing in terms of extreme poverty. And, you know, sometimes when we look at us living here in North America, we think to ourselves, wow, like, how could that happen? It, we, we're in such a privileged country. So, I mean, walk us through your childhood. How did that happen? Or, or how was it growing up? And how did it shape you as the person you are today? Um, it had a huge role in shaping me. I think privilege and lack of privilege shapes the, the person that you become as an adult. 
but um, I was born in Ontario. And when I was eight, we moved out to Nova Scotia. And very shortly after that, uh, economically, things started to take a bad turn for my family. We had a little hobby farm, which was lovely. We had horses, uh, sheep, and ducks. And uh, that actually came in really uh, handy because eventually it got to a point where we were using the meat that we got off of them uh, to be able to keep us going. Um, Yeah, so my dad stayed in Toronto. Uh, uh, My parents were still together until I was 17, but um, it it was hard for my mom uh food hot water heat were often not available yeah so it's possible in north america (laughs) but you know what in in nova scotia the community spirit is so strong i i can't imagine a better place to have nothing wow (laughs) yeah you know it's and it's interesting because you look at this kind of stuff and and we take for granted water and electricity and heat um but when you're when you're in that situation, you just appreciate life so much more, right? And, and then you could you could empathize or see other people who are going through similar type of situations, and you want to help. Yeah, it it awakens a sensitivity um, because you just know what it looks like, and that's that's actually a big reason why Gems for Gems began with the jewelry drive, because I had a different level of sensitivity to what I was seeing. Um, I was looking at the children that are helped at Christmas time and thought it was fantastic what happens in Calgary here because there's so many programs that Nova Scotia just doesn't, just doesn't have the resources to be able to do. Um, but when I saw all the wonderful things for children here, I just thought like, there's got to be something for the mothers mm-hmm. because I know that if the children are going without, the mothers are going with even less. Right. You know, that story, we'll go into a deeper dive with Gems for Gems, but that story resonated and actually I just I found you just stumbling on on social media on Facebook randomly there was a live podcast and you were the interviewer and I watched the entire episode I thought this is such a fantastic story but you you told a story about Christmas and and it was just a a kind gesture that really turned into movement walk me through that day what happened during that day sure um so I was 14 years old and I have uh two younger siblings one uh is my Irish twin so she's 11 months younger than I am yeah and then uh, my brother's six and a half years younger than me so when I was 14 I started um you you know you're you're hitting puberty and you're changing and I started liking boys (laughs) and, and I started recognizing that the the little things that I was getting giddy about my mom hadn't had in so many years even something as simple as holding a boy's hand my mom hadn't had so it put her um, in a different light to me and at the time at Christmas time my grandmother would give us each $20 uh, to be able to go to our local church Christmas bazaar and we would spend the $20 on toques and mittens and scarves and love that we were we knew who made them and get excited for what designs were on them like it was I obviously um I mean, it was twenty dollars, and it was doing the whole family. Yeah, but yeah. it was fun, and we didn't, we weren't, um, a, we weren't in a poverty mindset, uh, which I think was a big part of what made me capable of getting through in the way that I did. Um, but this particular Christmas, I went to my brother and my sister, and I asked them if they wanted to pool their money together. So instead of getting all of us each gifts, um, then we would give a collective gift to my mom. And uh, they were all over it right away. So we went and we bought uh, this bracelet. And it looked like leaves woven together, but um, it had what we thought were diamonds, but def- 
definitely plastic, <laughs> but they were sparkly right. and it was beautiful. And it was the most expensive thing we'd ever held, mm-hmm. <laughs> let alone purchased. So we were so excited to give it to her on Christmas morning. But when we gave it to her, she opened it and started bawling and left the room. Uh, and it left the three of us absolutely mortified. Um, but when she came back, she had done her hair and done her makeup and put on her best clothes. And she sat us down and just told us that this little piece of jewelry reawoken the woman that she is. And she'd been so stuck in life source mode for so long that this tiny piece of jewelry put her back on her own radar. Wow. So, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I told that same story over dinner to my friend, Neil Bosch, who's, um, he's, I'll introduce you to a great guy and he started to tear up. And so both two men are sitting at dinner time starting to tear up. So I was just going to ask you, <laughs> did you make them cry? Because it gets people, because it's something relatable, right? Yeah. And the thing that's relatable, I feel too, is that you don't have to be in poverty to lose sight of your value and your own self-worth. Right. So it appeals to people, men too, are on that self-worth side, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're sitting down there in lunch, uh, dinner time, just tearing. So if you're a third party looking, they're like, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> but the tears were actually happy tears. And, and I think we need more happy tears moving forward. It was such, a, it's such an amazing story. I love it. And then so fast forward to 2015, all of a sudden you say, look, I saw this. I saw how this, this little token. And, you know, I've, I'm, I'm a big fan of tokens. I think people need them. You know, if you're a superhero, your token could be the cape. Or um, like for me, it's a suit. Usually when I'm in a power suit, I'm like, I feel different. That token, that jewelry just makes someone feel a lot more special or powerful or beautiful, right? Um, you decided to create Gems for Gems. What was the impetus behind it? Like, how did it happen? So I moved from Nova Scotia to Calgary. Um, my two babies, my grandmother and my husband in tow. And uh, I actually randomly reconnected with a university friend of mine. We cool. just literally bumped into each other at uh, the gym and she was like, Jordan, I have such a great group of friends. You need to come over. And it was heading up to Christmas. So she's like, I'm doing this fun Christmas gathering. I want you to come. So I said, yes. Didn't know anyone else in Calgary. So I was like, yep, I need friends. Right. And um, anyway, so when we were there, all the ladies were talking about all the amazing programs for children at Christmas time here, which just blew me away mm-hmm. because we, we, like I said, we just don't have the resources back home to be able to do half of them. Right. Um, but then I asked them, well, what is there for the mothers? And they all just stopped and looked at me like the thought had never uh, occurred to them. And it's, it, that's where the perspective comes from, right? Where if you refuse to be defined by your past, but can also take learning lessons and take the good parts of it, it can give you a totally different view of the world. So I told them the story that I just told you and there were a few tears and and I I said, I would love to do that. And they were like, what? I was like, collect jewelry for as many women as I possibly could. And maybe even one of them will have the reaction that my mom had. Right. And so I left and uh, actually some of those women, one of them is on our board now. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and some of those women rallied around me and started collecting with their friends and our mandate was just gently use jewelry um, and we would clean it. And the plan was to package it in packages of um, three to five items so that women could mix and match and they could feel put together, like entirely put together. 
So um, I had a goal of 25 packages, three to five items per package. And I had three weeks to be able to do it. Okay. So I was madly searching for a place that would just even let me collect because I didn't know anyone. Right. And uh, finally, Orange Theory in Seton, uh, Calgary, agreed. And we had, like I said, three weeks before Christmas. And in three weeks, we collected from this one location. There was only the Orange Theory at a liquor store. So it was like, there was no traffic and they did enough to make 436 packages. Yeah. So boom, just like that, almost all of Calgary and surrounding area was being given Christmas gifts on Christmas morning from the women of Calgary. And I just, it was one of the best things I'd ever done. And I knew that I wanted to keep going. So we did. So how do you determine who is worthy? What's the criteria to get one of these gifts? So that's a great question. Um, To me, anyone in Mm -hmm. need is worthy of this type of gift, but because um, Gems for Gems has specifically um, decided that our mission is to be able to end domestic abuse, and we can get into the Mm -hmm. tie-in afterwards, but um, I decided to work with shelters um, because I wanted to connect two major parts of my childhood, which was abuse and then uh, the poverty and be able to do what I could to be able to um, help women. Mm-hmm. What was it look on the first person? Do you remember th- this date? Who was the first person who received? You know what? I didn't, I don't see them because there's a lot of protection. Uh, so okay. with our Thrive program, we get into the shelters and I see them face to face then. But as far as giving the gifts, you give them. Um, so it's heavy duty security. Right. So there's two double steel locked doors and you have to, they're secret locations and it's a, it's a big oh, wow. process. Yeah. Which is great because that's the protection. Mm-hmm. Um but so I don't, I didn't see the women, but I got a lot of testimonials and um, the reactions were anything from crying right away because there's a note that goes with it. Oh. And yeah, I should have brought it here, but <laughs> the note says, um, um, Merry Christmas. This is a gift prepared by Gems for Gems from the women of Canada. Uh, we want you to know that we see you and you're not alone and that to keep your head held high and you're a gem no matter what. Merry Christmas. Wow. Something yeah. as simple as that. You know, just being acknowledged. This is the thing. Huge, yeah, huge. it puts women back on their own radar and shows them that we don't see them as social outcasts. Mm. And the thing with abuse is that so many times women, uh, any victim is groomed to believe what um, what the abuser is saying about them. And it's awful. And then they leave with whatever strength they have left, but they retain the emotional abuse and, and the leftover from physical abuse, all of it. And it, it messes their heads up a lot. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because it's when I'm, when I'm reading the statistics here, it's real. And, and a lot of people are going through it, but there's a stigma behind, behind it, right? Especially in, in my community in the cultural, you know, ethnic community, they kind of hide behind closed doors and there's almost this almost this shame to to admit that there's something going on so you put this fake facade of ha- a happy couple but meanwhile they come home and and there's some issues what what do you find is the breaking point for a lot of these fem- these these ladies to say hey look i got to take off because oftentimes they're with children right so usually um what I have been exposed to is that it's something that happens that either it's a close call with one of their babies um, or it's an actual um, physical abuse that happens with one of the kids. And that's the that's their ticket to start doing their safety plan to get out. Wow. So it's not necessarily a prevention plan. It's actually after 
trauma has happened. Gems for gems? Yes. Yeah. So we, we really focus further down the line. So there's a lot of wonderful organizations that are there to help women directly post leaving the abusive relationship. Shelters are one, but then there's countless counseling services and for the children as well. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. But there's a gap. Um, and this became apparent to me pretty quickly because um, after the first jewelry drive, I mean, in order to do the 436 packages, a lot of people contributed. Right. And then a lot of people wanted to continue contributing. So I didn't want to lose the momentum. So I started doing motivational events in, in uh, the communities and they were really successful, but I didn't feel a thing. Like I didn't feel any emotional anything. So mm -hmm. I was like, well, this is not, I'm not going to put my energy into this. And uh, so then I was like, I came up with our Thrive program and our Thrive program uh, teaches self-defense, uh, financial literacy, resilience and psychological coping skills. And the whole framework of it was to be done within an hour and a half to two hours in the shelters. And um, that's where you talk about the statistics and what the straw that breaks the camel's back is. Yes, it's the children. But sadly, even when they when they leave, um, the, so many of them return. And that's what I started hearing again and again and again, particularly around the self-defense um, mm -hmm. side. Um, it was questions in preparation. So it was questions like, what happens? What do I do if I'm cornered? What happens if I've been hit in the head first and I can't see properly? What happens wow. if my kids are watching? What? So they were asking questions in preparation for going back. And I, so that's where I was like, we've got to be able to do something that can actually give women a, a truly viable way forward outside of the abusive relationship but when you talk about the fact that the community um, applies a certain level of stigma I you know on one hand I want to say like yeah but there's so many great resources and and there's so many ways out but the problem is it always comes down to believability mm -hmm. and so much of the time the abusers are uh, charismatic and <laughs> manipulative and community members and and the bottom line is that people don't want to believe that they've been abusing this woman right. or their children so then very quickly a woman gets put into a spiteful ex-wife position mm -hmm. you know and that's terrifying you know you're completely alone you don't often have the financial way forward you don't have the emotional capacity to deal with it and then the community starts looking at you like you're the one that right. did something wrong. Like for, for so many women, especially the ones not suffering from physical abuse, they can rationalize why it's smarter to stay mm -hmm. because the socialized isolation and ostracization comes to the kids as well when they leave. So, so many women, I, I, you, you understand why they stay. Right. And there's this dependency as well. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, economically, yes, economic. but then also emotionally, right? The Again, you get so beaten down that you don't think that you, A, will be believed, are capable of living by yourself, anything. like Right. And I think, you know, the value of the program like that, I, I think about a big elephant when, when an elephant is tied to stake at a young age, they start to believe that they can't do that. And it's reinforced over and over again. They need to believe that they can pull the stake out, right? And, and they're stronger than they, they think they are. So sometimes I think... We need to, or you know, whether it's a mentor or a support mechanism, believe more in the person than they believe in themselves, right? And that's what you're you're giving here. Have yeah. you seen like stories? Because I know we could spend a full hour on really tragic stuff. Like, walk me through a story where 
a story of triumph where someone went through the program and they found hope, they found their voice, and where are they right now? So um, with our Thrive program, it was exciting and wonderful and emotional and it gave women amazing tools, but they still didn't have what it took to see believing in themselves and, and extending that to being able to stay outside of those situations actually viable. So when I kept hearing those questions, I was like, we've got to be able to do something different. So the women would leave our, our um, uh, Thrive program and happy and a, a visual 180 from when they walked in. Like it's mm-hmm. spectacular. And we have so many um, testimonials and videos and everything of women just glowing about their experience. So I look at Thrive as the spark. And what we have been able to create after that spark is an opportunity to light that spark up to a fire. And that's our scholarship program. And I am so proud, uh, even just to be a part of making this opportunity possible for these women. And um, it's going really well. We have uh, one of the ladies that uh, received scholarship is almost out and uh, they're all saying just that how much of a game changer it is and how they all want to be a part of Gems for Gems after. And it's amazing because right. they see it as a, a gift from the community that has changed everything for them. You know, I was reading some of the stories behind the scholarships and they're very you know, gut-wrenching and they're really powerful. Like, is there one that really stands out to you? Um, yes, but... Uh, there's not enough scholarship recipients that I can go into too many details because it would be very easy to yeah. put it back to that lady. But um, the the amount of resilience that that all of them collectively has shown, um, one lost a baby, um, like held her baby um, as she took her last breath. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. And then shortly after that, when she was so sad, met a man that would become her abuser. Um, So I think the lesson in this is that we need to understand that people are human and people constantly want love and they want to feel safe and secure. And if an abuser makes them feel safe and secure in the beginning, Mm -hmm. that feels safe and secure. It feels like you are gravitationally pulled to this person. Um, Yeah, so I it's a, the collective resilience that blows me away that, that they come out fighting and, you know, all of them are, two of them are dealing with custody issues and it just doesn't stop. Like, mm-hmm. and yet they still keep going and they're acing school and they're, one of them wants to start her own spa. Awesome. So she's not just wanting to start like work out of her home, which that's wonderful. And that's why, that's why this is one of the scholarships that we fund so that you can have that flexibility, but she wants to start her own, Spa spa. And right. it just, wow, yeah. it's amazing. Like what a 180. They're starting to dream. Yes. And, and you're giving them the license to dream and, and not judge them. So speaking of dreams, you, I, I read that Gems for Gems has donated over 11,000. 16,000 16, across Canada. Across Canada. Yeah. And it's, this message has gone around the world as well, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we're getting allies all over the place, actually, and, and really interesting opportunities, too. Um, we had an invitation to for me to go speak in Colombia, actually. COVID uh, was a bit of a buzzkill. <laughs> yeah. um, Colombia would have been nice. Right? Yeah. And yeah. Scotland. Um, um, I had uh, an opportunity for a TEDx talk in England. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. COVID, 
Yeah. It's okay. You're, you know what? You're banking the, the stories for that TEDx talk. Definitely. Right? Like, it's it's going to be a little bit Oh, better. this is like the, the most epic tale of resilience now. So speaking of um, COVID and what we're going through right now, mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of charities are going through some tough times just because there's not a lot of money to go around. Has has that impacted you guys a lot? And, and how have you guys, Okay. How have you, how have you pivoted in, in a different direction? What new innovations have come around? Well, um, the, I'm going to kind of tackle that from a few different angles. Um, GEMS has always, right from the start, been a collaborative effort. So when people talk to me about, I mean, you look, you listed off those awards. Every single time I had to do any sort of interview for them, I said to every single interviewer that this award is being given to me on behalf of everyone that achieved it through Gems for Gems because it is not just me. There are literally hundreds of thousands when you take the jewelry drive in consideration. And so the spirit of collaboration has literally been the heartbeat of Gems for Gems from conception. And um, how we've pivoted is really leaning into that. Um, sadly for our, we, we have an ambassador team, but sadly for an, our ambassador teams, there hasn't been as much for them to be able to do because there's no face-to-face anything right. now. But um, we've been able to leverage um, the spirit of collaboration in many different ways. One, for instance, the fact that I'm here and, and you're one of our ambassadors and and that's just beautiful. And that's that is a perfect example of, what our ambassador team is based on. And that's having a livable commitment to mm-hmm. being part of the change. I've also shifted that spirit of collaboration um, into the sector as well. So the domestic abuse sector here in Calgary and really leaned into the people who are like-minded. So an example of that is that we started a new um, event called Ignite. And that was fantastic. We had two of our celebrity ambassadors uh, speak and kind of host it with me. Um, We opened it up to anyone who wanted to attend. And there was 205 registrants. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And what was really awesome is that initially we had planned to do this in person, but um, COVID (laughs) forced our hand and it actually made it better because Mm -hmm. it made people, it gave people the opportunity to retain their anonymity Uh, So the questions that came out were unbelievable. And we had five um, sector partners and every single one of them now wants to be in for a series. Yeah, it was wonderful. And it really just gave people the opportunity to rise above the lack of funds and do what we could, how we could. And it was a beautiful success. Did, you know, that 14-year-old girl that did that uh, that gesture of kindness, did you ever think it was going to expand to this? Did you always have this this goal to be a philanthropist? No, but you know what? I had a weird dream <laughs> when I was uh, uh, just before that. Actually, um, it's I mean, it's a little kid's dream. But I had I the the essence of the dream was that something big was going to happen, and that I was going to have to uh, be able to rally people around it. So that's the only hint I possibly had, but. Five, I mean, this is cool. the fourteen-year-old self. Yeah, the stream. yeah. I had and I told my my parish priest about it. I yeah. told my mom about it. I like, yeah. I was like, it was so real. It was the most real dream I've ever had before or after. And yeah, I was just like, I think there might be something to that. And then poof, this happened. I certainly didn't see this happening from the jewelry drive, and then it right. just blew up. You know what's interesting is because although you're focusing on the, the mothers. There are kids there who are watching and they might be inspired to do something similar or just they're going to remember that someone was there for them when they're at their darkest hour. And you never know, you might be nurturing the next great leader out there. 
I I hope we are. Like the kids um, are not the uh, front and center focus of our mission, mm-hmm. but but you know if you look at some of the other interviews I've done and my and on on uh, my website, they're mentioned. And the whole concept is that what we're trying to do is be able to empower the mothers to be the leaders that they can be for their children. And so much of the time when women are in, when anyone is in survival mode, you lose that leadership and you're just trying to get by. So we're trying to be able, again, to have that spark become a fire and have that also translate into the leadership within their family. You know, you launched in 2015, correct? Yes. So you launched in 2015, a year prior to you launching, there's a little girl up on stage and she talks and she receives a Nobel Peace Prize. Malala Yousafzai, yes, right? Yes. And she, you know, she was a, I think she was a 14-year-old girl or 17-year-old. I think 14-year-old girl. She was 14. 14. Mm-hmm. And she received it when she was 17. And all she wanted to do was stand up for the right, the basic human right for the basic essentials of humanity and the ability to go to school for, for, for women or young girls to go to school. So a year before you launch your charity, she wins a Nobel Peace Prize. It, it it tells me that one education is huge, right? And I think that your organization with the Thrive program is providing education as well. What is in in the grand scheme of things, how important is education to to moving your message across? To me, it is everything. Mm-hmm. It's it's the the actual tangible way of being able to create lasting change. And it, you know, here's another one of the slogans that yeah. I live by is the, <laughs> the the whole fishing thing, right? You give a fish or teach two fish. Right. And to me, sustainable change is it, that is that is what keeps me going. That that is everything to me. Interesting. You know, this change to keep it going, I find that a lot of these these women who have done amazing things have gone through trauma. Right. A lot of them, you know, if you grew up privileged without any type of trauma, oftentimes you don't want to make a change because life is good. We do, again, it comes down to the perspective, right? You just don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And that's again, too, why I, I also talk about when you know better, do better, because eventually there's some form of wake up call. Right. And a lot of people shut the call off as opposed to answering to it. And I think it's so important to understand that. Um, you might only be able to do something small, but if everyone was doing something small, we would live in a different world. Absolutely. So do do that small thing. Yeah. Do good. Yes. Do good when you can, where you can, how you can. Talk to me about the your thoughts on just women leadership in general. Like we, we talked about Malala when she was you know uh, in twenty fourteen. Um, there was a first uh, Benazir Bhutto. Um, Benazir Bhutto was the first prime minister of Pakistan. Um, of a Muslim country, right? And, and then Kamala Harris is the first, you know, visible woman, actually first woman, to get a vice president title, the second highest office in, in the White House. Are you seeing this, 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 this resurgence or this, this growth of women leaders around the world? Yeah, for sure. I, I, I think it's fantastic what's happening. And I think um, just like men, women fall on uh, on a wide spectrum. So some, you know, sometimes I hate it when people are like, oh, she's stuck in her masculine or he's stuck. Why can't we just all have a balance of everything? 
and and have that be okay. And I right. think that you can be in a leadership role and and have the ability to lead with strength and compassion. And you're not stuck in either. You might have to be in one for a while, but I think you're always influenced by the full spectrum within you. One thing that I would like to say to that, though, is I think that um, I think that we have a problem coming, um, and I think we have put beautifully a huge amount of effort into empowering women, but not girls. And we are seeing an enormous rise in what women, what girls are allowing done to them sexually, how um, they're allowing boys to treat them, how boys are treating them. And, and we have, in my opinion, forgot to lead that generation because this was the first generation that we could really make massive strides with adult women. And it's phenomenal. But my, my feeling is we have a big problem coming what do you think the reason is behind that? Is it uh, social media? Is it music? Like, what, what do you think is the reason why there's this? Oh, reason? social media obviously has a huge porn, mm-hmm. <laughs> enormous problem. Right. And that's like with the more accessible all these vices are at a younger and younger age, coupled with the fact that both parents are out working and, and, and achieving and shooting for their dreams, which is wonderful. But the problem is, is that we have lost the balance. We shouldn't have babies with iPhones. <laughs> like, right. ah, yeah. You know what I mean? And we all, we all will laugh about that and get it. And then mothers will go home and be like, no, no, like I can't do this without the iPhone because I need to work. Right. And, and I, I get that struggle. I was so lucky. I had my babies back to back. So mm-hmm. they really... Uh, they entertain themselves, which was a massive blessing. But it, again, perspective wise, gave me the opportunity to look objectively at, at what's happening. And, um, yeah, we're, I, I think we're in trouble and I think we've really got to roll up our sleeves and start doing something about it. Right. Speaking of your babies, Lily and Gabe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is Lily the older one? Yes. Right. Does Lily take care of Gabe? Um, yes, but Gabby is much more of the nurturer. Lily oh, no is way. a jump in both feet and she's got her brother behind her. Uh, so she never worries about just living life. She's a life force. She's amazing. And then Gabby is this gentle, soft, loving, observant, kind boy that looks for anyone who's alone and and looks to help constantly. They both want to work in charities. They Oh, no way. Oh, my gosh. Well, they've been raised in the center of this, right? So all they've known is giving for their entire existence. Let's say we fast forward 20 years from now. Yeah. And Lillian and Gaby are introducing you to their future spouse. Mm. What do you think they're going to... How do you think they're going to describe you to their future spouse? Oh, you're going to make me cry. This is like my... This is my soft spot. Okay. <laughs> you know, one of the... One of the difficult, okay, I'm, I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to say something first. Um, people ask me all the time how you have the energy to do this. And one of the biggest drivers for me is that I don't know how long I have. And I want that when I pop off, mm-hmm. whenever it is that I've left something that my kids can look at and learn from and and aim to do better than. Um, I want to. I want to have set a living example of what it is to be the change and to leave the world a better place. So I hope that when they speak about me to the person that they love, that um, they do so with admiration and 
Um, and, and understanding that no matter where I fell short, that I was always trying and am always trying to do my absolute best. And I think that's all you can ask from for anybody. Uh, you know, I think you're doing a great job and I think kids need mentorship. And, you know, I was fortunate enough that I had, had good, great parents around me. My father and I were all, we're, we're not always, um, uh, on the same terms. We, we would argue every once in a while, but I wrote a post recently and I said, um, a parent's life is a child's guidebook. They're, they're going to look at your life and your struggles. And it's funny because I, I used to tell myself, you know, I was, ra- I was born here. My parents were born in the Philippines. I ate this food. They ate that food. Our value system is different. And now that I'm in my 40s, I start to think, you know what? All this stuff that they were going through, I went through it as well. And I saw how they handled it. And I saw this, the strength that they gave. Do you think, um, do you think children of the world today are lacking that mentorship fully right but do you think this pandemic might be an opportunity for them to be closer just because we're home now i think that it depends on how far it has gone and it's on a kid by kid basis um so i think teenagers it's really hard once they've gone far enough out to reel them back in until they become adults and then once they become adults now it's a a bigger change that they're gonna have to try to make you know um but i think as far as little ones go what i'm seeing is that a lot of um women that i know are choosing to stay home now so i I hope that we don't revert back mm-hmm. and take our women off our boards, out of the leadership roles and everything, because when it comes down to it, usually there's nothing more important to a mother than her babies. And that's certainly the case with me. And I think it's certainly the case with, with most women. And uh, when you see your kids struggling during this pandemic, it's, it is right in your face how much they might need you um and yeah so then it's do you answer that call or do you try to find the balance uh which is a constantly moving target (laughs) so it's it's interesting there was an article that came out in cbc and they talked about how women tend to be the most vulnerable during this pandemic um because they're the ones that usually take a step back and on a on a savings perspective you talked about thrive how it talks about uh saving and financial Financial literacy literacy and all that other stuff if you have a child you tend to be working less in the workforce um, your longevity, you tend to live a lot longer than men. <laughs> and so there's, there's so many different risks that women go through that men will never understand. Of course, I'll never have a child, give birth to a child. So there's, there's so, many di- so many different things that we may never go through. What advice do you give mothers raising their kids right now uh, on how to, I guess, how to become better mothers? I think the biggest thing is that you need to talk to them. You need to find a way to make yourself a safe place for them to talk to you. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in a world where there's so much coming at them and at us, just being heard is groundbreaking. And for a long time, they're still desperately looking to be heard by you. And I think for some kids, um, when they haven't been heard for a really long time, they start to shut off. But for the most part, I believe that kids, they they have a, again, gravitational pull to their parents. They want their approval. They want their love. They want to be heard. They want to feel interesting 
to them. And I, and I think when they're little kids, sometimes you're just straight up not interested. You right. know, you're not interested in um, exactly why that stick figure dog has five legs instead of four. And, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. so sometimes I think it's about understanding uh, what you're giving off to them more than trying to be authentic about, well, I'm not interested in that. Well, it doesn't really matter if you're not interested. What matters right now <laughs> is that he thinks his dog's going to run faster. <laughs> and, right. You know, and and you have to give that attention. Um, even when it doesn't feel maybe authentic to you at the, in the moment, you have to understand that that's, that is, that is what they need. And that's a building block for them. You know, you have a great message overall, just on raising, on how to raise children, on the importance of, of young kids growing up with mentorship, as well as empowering women who've gone through trauma. So it's a fantastic message. I love the message. In a world where social media, that's where most people get their information. Like, I don't even read the newspaper anymore. Like, I don't, I just, you know, I just go through social media, which may not be the best thing. But in a world where that is the medium where most people get their information, um, how do you, how do you leverage that? Because I know that maybe you could segue into the film festival and the Academy Awards. And what I'm trying to get at is how do you get more influencers to start talking about a great message versus here's my TikTok dance. Right? <laughs> and Which my dog mind. talking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I love. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, it's with great difficulty. So again, I'm gonna kind of divide that answer into two. For starters, uh, you're not alone. Obviously, so many people just open Facebook or open Instagram and they just download whatever is on the go. <laughs> you're not alone. Yeah. But um, but uh my general rule. Um, is that if it doesn't feel good, it probably isn't good. Mm -hmm. So be sensitive to yourself and be tuned in to yourself. If you are watching a lot and you are feeling down, stop. Yeah. Yeah. Take a break, you know? And that's, I, that's something that, um, I think a lot of people, you know, we talk about FOMO. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think it's, it's so legitimate. People are so afraid of missing something. And the bottom line is, is even if you wanted to miss it, you couldn't right. miss it because it comes it's at you from some. Yeah. yeah. So there's really nothing to actually be afraid of missing uh, on a large scale. And if it doesn't feel good, then it's probably not good. And that goes for relationships. It goes for social media. It goes for who you follow. If you follow an influencer that makes you feel fat, mm -hmm delete, right. unfollow, you know what I mean? Like just it's simple things like that, but that is part to me of taking care. It's a big part of taking care of your mental health and holy cow, during COVID, it's never been more important. Do you consider yourself an influencer? Um, I think in, in some circles I am. And I, what I really want, and you know, when you and I were speaking earlier about my story and how it's not really out there, um, it has been so important to me that gems is the influencer. Right. Um, it has been critical to me because again, if I pop off tomorrow, I mm -hmm. want gems to continue. Right. That's a legacy. Yeah. And if it's not, it's not just about part of me living on. It's about, it's about that change living on and that movement living on because I believe with every fiber of my being that it's critical mm -hmm. for gems to grow and to reach the heights that it can because the need is there. Mm -hmm. You know, speak of being an influencer, you've influenced me, mm -hmm. uh, I would say five months ago. So five months ago, I saw you being interviewed and, and they asked you, how do you stay positive? And you said, you just don't scroll. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and so 
I've controlled my scrolling <laughs> significantly. <laughs> and I, I have to give you kudos because Good. that was your advice. And this is, I think it was an interview that you did maybe at the beginning of, of uh, the pandemic when mm-hmm. it first started happening. Because it was at that time, the world felt like it was going to fall apart. And everything that we were hearing was doom and gloom. And so much of it still is. Mm-hmm. And that that kind of goes back to what I was saying. Like, it's it's not feeling good for anyone. Right. So stop. Yeah. Are you half glass full? Yes. Right? Always. Good. Always. Where do you see the world in the next five years? Oh, boy. You told me you weren't going to try to stump me. <laughs> um, I think that the world is in a massive transition right now. And okay. I, um, more than I think, I hope that... Um, the best sides of people will be pulled out. Right now, people are so afraid and scared people. And it's not a good look on humanity. Right. <laughs> so I'm hoping that um, some form of leveling out happens in some way, shape, or form to let people get their feet under them again and let them remember who they are right. and bring out the best in them rather than the worst. You know, what is, what's one thing, you've gone on this long journey What's one thing that you wish someone told you before you started this about starting a charity? Because it's a very noble cause. I've wanted to start a charity myself. I just never had the confidence to do it. But so you started this charity, you're five years in. What's one thing you say, you know, I wish someone just told me before I started this charity that I should have thought of this. Um, I, I have a weird answer to that question. <laughs> I did not try to start a charity. Okay. That's, that's my answer. So yeah. people instead, they saw what I was doing and people came out of the woodwork warning me about this, warning me about, about I'm entering into the ga- the world of no's and, and all of that. And, and maybe because I just had an unbridled passion for what I was doing and I wasn't asking people for their firstborn. I was asking them to, to just do what they could do. Um, and I wasn't putting a label on what they could do. Right. I was saying what I'm doing and, and extending the invitation to join me. And um, I have, I have um, it, it, GEMS has been a different mold uh, for the charity world. And because of that, I have not experienced even I would say 90% of what I was warned that I would experience. It has been quite a charmed difficult uh, <laughs> because of a lot of work, but, um, and, and a lot of obstacles, but I have, I have had quite a charmed journey right. um, because what I do is different. Right. Yeah. So you actually had some people at the beginning saying, no, don't do this or warning you a little bit negative. We, because, because um, I, I see one of my best strengths uh, is knowing exactly how many weaknesses yeah. and where my weaknesses are. And I don't, I, I mean, I'm obviously, I'm always trying to do better, but part of doing better is finding the people that are better. So if there's a hole, I want the best person to come and fill that hole. But the thing is that most times the best person for that hole is the best because they're experienced and Mm -hmm. their experience has taught them certain things to be afraid of, certain things to warn people of. And so that type of stuff comes from their past and it came at me, Um, but they ran their portion of gems. So I was like, great, well, you (laughs) know what to look for. So we'll just leave that in your court. Yeah. You know, it, it's good because as a leader, you have this humility to be able to say, hey, I know what I don't know, and I know what I do know, and you're better than me. Go go forward with it. I just, we're always stronger together. Absolutely. Always. Right. Like, always. Literally. Again, from conception. Right. That has been my mentality, and it has been the life source of gems. You, mentor, you mentioned uh, um, 
you know, if, the, if you know someone who's better than you to leverage their expertise, and that's a great segue into mentorship. Who, who, do you have any mentors right now? I, I, I don't really. I, um, I really, um, I don't have one specific mentor. I know you really believe in mentorship and I think that's great, but I think it is because you look at, um, your path, like you, you can line out where you want to go and, and the, the specific achievements that you want, but I've had a much more fluid relationship mm. with my journey with Jem. So instead of having like looking at this woman and being like, I want to be like you, I, I, I know what I want to be when I grow up yeah. <laughs> and, and that's been my, my, my moving target. And so many wonderful people have been drawn to the mission of Gems for Gems and, and, and as they come along, more holes in gems and myself are exposed and they fill them. Right. So it, it has been a different, more fluid um, experience. You know, you mentioned something about moving targets, yeah. which reminds me of somebody who I completely admire, uh, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Oh, my I gosh. I completely Amazing admire him. Man. But he said, someone asked him, who do you look up to? And mm -hmm. his response was brilliant. And it's actually the same response I said. I look up to me 10 years from now. Right. So if I'm going to do something, I ask myself, what would my, you know, 50, I don't want to say my age, my, my 50 something, <laughs> what, what would my 50 something year old say if I were to do this? And so in fact, my real mentor is me. It's the person who I really want to be. I completely, completely agree with that. Um, you know, one of, um, another checkpoint that I have for myself is, um, Every decision I make, I want to handle every situation I'm in, every decision I make, I want to handle with grace and I want to be proud of how I handled it afterwards. Mm -hmm. So you talk about humility. Um, I think something that holds a lot of people back is that it chokes them to even think about having to apologize to someone, especially after they there's been some sort of altercation. I, I have never had that affliction. Mm -hmm. I am, I am aware that I am a very flawed human and I will make lots of mistakes and I have the confidence to go out and try new things because I'm not afraid of making mistakes. Like I have no connection with failure and mistakes. It is right. just, I need to revamp that and <laughs> try it again. And maybe that's stupidity, but <laughs> it has helped me uh, enormously. And, um, yeah, so I, 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 I think I have been lifted up by a community of mentors um, right. who have just filled in so organically around me. You know, I, I find that some of the most successful people who've gone on this journey, similar to what you've gone through, uh, or, or the game changer journey, has a supportive uh, group around them. So I just want to show you something, and um, just tell me what you feel about this person. <laughs> What's going on in um, this picture? That man is, that's Kate. I don't know if you can see. Oh, we'll show it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that is my spectacular husband um, who, like this gets me going. He's the center of everything to me. And he is the original gem that the entire organization has been built off of because he, um, what he signed up for with that, that's not, I wasn't 18 there, but <laughs> when we first met, I was 18 years old and, and, and I had just come out of hell and, and then I went into hell again and he stood by me every single step of the way. And what, when I came out of hell, all I wanted was peace. And he signed up as a 23 year old 
man, boy, you know, it's that sketchy age where men like to see themselves as men, but they're more boys. But he signed up um, with this girl uh, who wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and just have a quiet, peaceful life because it was the opposite to what I had experienced on my own. And then we came out to Calgary and I was so set to, to raise our babies and all that. And then gems happened. (laughs) And I remember I had a conversation with someone and, uh, it was a big conversation and they were like, gems for gems is going to be massive. You just need to decide whether you're going to be up for the challenge or not. Right. And I called Tommy on, like I got out of the, I got out of the meeting and I, uh, called Tommy right away. And I was like, I was like flying so excited. And he was like, George, I feel like this is more of a conversation than a statement. <laughs> and I was like, nope, it's yeah. gems. I'm obviously going with it. Right. So, and, and he just was like, anyway, I got home and we chatted about it and he was just, he's been on board and he has, he has been my rock. He has filled in with gems anywhere that I needed him to be. He has echoed why, um, why my, my mission warrants me being out of the house as much as I am to our kids and has really fostered that love and excitement and ownership of gems uh, with mm-hmm. the kids too. And I just, Tommy is the world. He's everything. If you could tell him one thing, what would you tell him? Oh. And you could look in the camera. <laughs> what would he, you tell him if he was here? He's my heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's everything. Well, you know, um, I think we need more men like him. You know, we focus a lot on on women's empowerment, and I think men need to step up. Um, you know, speaking of, of heartbeat, I, I love how you describe heartbeats. You, um, you created these two. Oh, my gosh. You're making a mess of me. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me... Tell me about this picture because I, I saw it and I thought it was the most beautiful picture because you got big sister reaching out, taking care of little brother. And that's why I asked. So when I look at this picture, um, the bond between these two is uh, everyone talks about it. Like everyone that sees them, everyone that sees them interact, hears them mm-hmm. speak to each other. Gabby is chivalrous. You've got me going right now. <laughs> Uh, thank you for that. We'll, we'll blame it on the wine. <laughs> <laughs> I better pour another one. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, everyone who, who sees them and hears them speak, Gabby is so chivalrous towards her. She is nurturing and loving with him as well as just being an absolute wild child. Um, but when I see this, I remember. So Gabby, I think, was about two months old there. But by the time he was three, he was so big, three months. Mm-hmm. He was so big that he was only three pounds behind his 11-month-old older sister. And I remember him being on the floor and Lily was watching um, a a show. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can scoot to the bathroom. And it felt so liberating. And then I'm I'm in the bathroom and the door is open just so if if a cry happened or whatever, I'd hear it immediately. And I, I saw, I just heard so much giggling and I was like, oh my gosh, it's so precious. And I was just in this beautiful moment of just, seeing like forecasting the future and I came out and Gabby was such a bruiser that Lily was sitting on his stomach um <laughs> playing with him and he was laughing his head off wow. yeah and and I just I just think this is a really little snapshot to me that brings a flood of um how beautiful their relationship is I, I love that and and I've never met Gabby before but I know that he's a really loving kid because I saw a video of him 
Oh, right? when? Uh, so I saw a video, I think it was 2015. I saw one of your videos and two of them are just running back and forth. And I think this was in 2015, July 6, 2016, 2015. And he, and he says, I love you right at the end of the video. Oh, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. And I was like, what a good kid. He's right? still the same. He's exactly still the, the same. same. Yeah. So I promise that I'm not going to get you crying anymore. <laughs> your promises. <laughs> so we are, um, you know, we're, we're near the end of the hour. Wow, that flew, right? Jeez. So we're entering a stage called the rise round. And so the rise round is a series of questions where I ask you, and it's just rapid fire questions. And these are, these are questions because people know the, the, you know the character of you, right? but they don't really know you inside. So these are the pressing questions that the rest of the world wants to know. What's going on in the mind of Jordan Guilford? So oh I'm going to ask these questions. Typically, there's around 10 to 11, but I think today we got 14. So, okay. so I'm, are you ready for this? Yes, we're right. ready. So three, two, one, get ready, ready, set, rise. Here we go. For the first one, uh, you know, you've, you represent strength, right? And, and I'm a comic book nerd, so I love superheroes. If you were a superhero, who would be your favorite superhero? Wonder Woman. Oh, cool. Okay. Question number two, Michael Jordan, Jordan Knight, Jordan Spieth, or Jordan Belfort, which of them would you want as your male ambassador for Gems for Gems? I don't know enough of the Jordans is the full <laughs> answer. And I would have said Michael Jordan, but then I saw his his biography and I'm like, <laughs> maybe mean. not. Jordan Knight. How about Jordan Knight? I like Jordan Knight. Jordan Knight. Yes. You know, he was one of the he was one of the, he was the best dancer of NKOT. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Jordan well, you Speed. know what? I actually got made fun of uh in um in elementary school in Toronto. Uh for having a boy's name and because new kids on the block were so big. <laughs> he came up a lot. Yeah. We'll just say if Jordan Knight is watching this, you should be on Gems for Gems as an ambassador, <laughs> Mr. Jordan Knight. You know, you got the right stuff. Um, you've met several celebrities through your organization. Who's one celebrity that you'd love to collaborate with? Um, you know what? I, I, I'm very drawn to um, Reese Witherspoon and, um, oh my gosh, who's the amazing one in Sweet Home, Alabama? <sighs> mm. I don't know. Yeah, she's so sweet. She just came out with a wicked series. Anyway, there's a there's a couple of them. Um, Charlize Theron too is amazing, and she has a huge connection to um, domestic abuse. And uh, yeah, so I, I I would love to be able to work with people who are emotionally um, stable but charged from mm-hmm. their past as well. I think we should hashtag and 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 tag in uh, Reese Witherspoon. I love her, by the way. I love her. She's just so warm. Yes, just warm energy. Yes. And Charlize Theron, class act. Oof, absolutely. Those are two. Yeah. So now we have we have Jordan Knight. <laughs> yeah, Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> we got a team. Yeah, we got a power team here. <laughs> so this is awesome. Speak of superpowers and power teams, I've seen pictures of you stampeding. So you love stampeding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so you love stampeding. Do you like comic books, by the way? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not well versed, but okay. yeah. So if you're stampeding, just imagine Jean Grey from the X-Men. Mm-hmm. So Jean Grey, Black Widow, Wonder Woman, Catwoman, and you are out stampeding. Who's the wild one of the group and who's Mother Hen? I'd probably be Mother Hen. Oh, you would be. Yeah, because look at those girls. They're going to get up to all kinds of trouble. Someone's got to be Mother Hen. You it's got not going to be them. <laughs> you got superpowers, though. Ooh. I would say the cat woman would certainly be the wild one. She has to be. Definitely. Yeah. But then who would not be? That's true. It no, has I to be. I think Wonder me. Woman would be nice, though. 
Wonder Woman would be. Yeah, you know but then she, she would knew be she the, wouldn't back down from a fight though, and I feel like that's gonna be problems. You know what? She would be the worst <laughs> if guys tried to pick her up because she has this lasso that tells oh, the truth. Yes, a guy walks up. Yes, like, and then that would just get the rest of them in. Like, hey, bad, 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 bad. It, I'd have to. Get <laughs> okay, so let's go back in time when you're 14 years old, uh, all the way back there. Not all the way back, but you know, 14. Excuse you. <laughs> no, let's go back in a time machine. 14 years old. And things were different economically. Mm -hmm. So you have some choices here. And you have the choice to give your mom, A, a pink diamond, B, a ruby, or three, an emerald. Which gem would you choose? Pink diamond. Pink diamond. Good choice. You know, mm -hmm. that's 1.19 millions per carat. Oh. Well. Look at you. You know, the, things would have to be very, very different. But <laughs> I know that they're, that the focus of a pink diamond is love and, uh, and um, loyalty and that type of stuff. So... I think that would I, I was impressed by the Sunrise Ruby, which is 1.18 million per carat, and the Emerald, which is 305,000 per carat. Emeralds are beautiful. I also really love sapphires mm -hmm. and their significance cool. as well. Mm -hmm. So I was raised in Toronto. One of the things we used to do in Toronto were house parties. Mm -hmm. We have big basement parties. That was Fun. a big thing for us. So you're from Nova Scotia, correct? So in Nova Scotia, there's a celebration. It's called the Celid? Celid? So anyways, it's a kitchen party. <laughs> so I butchered it. It's C-E-I-L-I-D-H. Oh, a Kaylee. Is that Kaylee? Yeah, I know. And you, you I, I understood it. Butchered that. <laughs> That's okay. So me from Toronto. So the Kaylee, <laughs> yeah. celebration, song, stories, and dance. Yeah. It's a kitchen party mm -hmm. on a Saturday night. And mm -hmm. that's kind of how it is. Mm -hmm. Music is a very integral part of mm -hmm. the fabric of, of, of Nova Scotia. So <laughs> what is the best memory of one of these Kayleys that you've ever had? Because they sound like a lot of fun. Yeah, you know what the the best thing about about how Nova Scotia parties is that it is so based in happiness. Yes, it's like I mean, drinking out there is a bit of a recreational sport, mm -hmm. um, so it can get really um, it can get really sloppy, but it's very very rarely intense. Mm. Um, it's and and everyone looks out for each other, you know. Someone needs, if someone's done way too much, then there's people like making sure that they're taken care of. And I just think from like the overall thing is the sense of community that yeah. it doesn't matter how much you mess up or how ugly it gets because it's never, it's, you're always rallied around. You know, gems for gems should have a Kaylee. Oh my word. We should have it. Just we bring should. it back. Yeah. Once COVID's over, <laughs> I'll host it. Um, <laughs> so apparently sticking with Nova Scotia, apparently 50,000 tons of lobster is hauled from Nova Scotia every single year. Mm. Um, what's better, Alberta steak or Nova Scotia lobster? Um, okay. Well, what trumps both of them is surf and turf. But Ooh, look at you, you're pandering to both. I've, I, <laughs> but, <you>. but <laughs> I'll tell you right now, um, more than a difference between Atlantic and Pacific lobster, there's a huge difference between salmon, oh, um, okay. Pacific salmon. And, and I definitely prefer, uh, Atlantic, Atlantic salmon, but Alberta beef cannot be beaten in, in Canada okay. is my opinion on that. So beef, I was shocked. Beef, beef over lobster. You're thinking. I love lobster. I know me too. I love lobster. <laughs> Well, we'll stick with beef. We just don't want to upset the viewers out here. <laughs> <laughs> if you could, uh, which famous person, living or dead, would you love to have a traditional Nova Scotian dinner with and why? I am very intrigued by Einstein. 
Really? <laughs> yeah, right? Like super intrigued. I, I'm a big believer in the law of attraction. Mm, and uh, yeah, I would assume with yeah, you, yeah. like you're, you're, you're amazing. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and he had, I think, an innate sense, like way predating a lot of what um, uh, gives validity to the law of attraction now, where we can actually measure waves and energy and all of that he didn't have any of that at his disposal and he had an innate sense of belief. And I would like to understand what, uh, what gave him that unfailing belief and, and, and pushed him to pursue it, um, as heavily as he did. I just think for some reason it would be over my head, but I would just be nodding I mean, like, here, and Albert, taking notes. Here, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> but he's an interesting character. Yeah. Um, you know, you're a master of collaboration. You talked about delegating and, and you have this, this intellectual humility about you. If you could work with one leader as a mentor, who would it be? I, I really like Michelle Obama. Yeah, classy. She has the best arms too. Oh, yeah. The woman is a powerhouse in every way, shape and form. Mm -hmm. And I also think that she has a deep um, level of responsibility or uh, of humility because of understanding that, that the power is in the whole and not right. in one. You know, and she said this one famous line, um, when they go low, we go high. Yes, so, and I love that. Love That's it. another one of the ones that just, I just conduct yourself with to. class. I love I love the Obamas or just I love the, their energy. Me too. So I love movies. There's this I don't know if you remember this movie with um Jesus. Jennifer Lopez. Yes. It's called Enough. Yes. Like so the movie Enough, Sleeping with the Enemy, Miscongeniality, and Kill Bill are all great movies about women's empowerment, right? If your life was a movie, what movie would it be? <laughs> Probably Miss Congeniality. <laughs> Probably, but I wish it was enough. <laughs> <laughs> She's so cool. I, I thought Sandra Bullock was such a good, she was so oh, great in yeah. that movie. Right? Yeah, you know, my grandmother, um, in my family, there's a, a running joke that I'm a dreamer. Um, and uh, my grandmother always used to um, compare me, like when um, uh, Elle Woods, what's the... What is the, what is the three, Legally Blonde, um, when Legally Blonde came out. So my whole life, she had been like, you're Jordan, you're a dreamer, blah, blah, blah. Cause I all, I always was talking about the type of things that I wanted to do and, and see and create. And, and, um, and, and then when Elle Woods came out, she was like, I take it back. You're not a dreamer. You are exactly, <laughs> um, Elle Woods. And she just, she kicks butt in her own way. And, uh, and, I don't try to kick butt, but I do try to achieve um, for what I believe in. And you know, when you look at Legally Blonde <laughs> and um, Miss Congeniality, yeah. the one thing I like about those movies is they told women just to be themselves. And they said, look, you don't need to be this image. You know, you want to snort when you laugh, go ahead and do it. Like, just be you. Yeah. And and it goes back to one of the comments you mentioned just about authenticity. Mm -hmm. So I love that. I think, sorry, one more thing with oh. that. I just think that um, especially women are predisposed to believing that when, that someone else knows better than they do. Mm. Um, and we need to shift that. We will. We will. Mm -hmm. Aside from your husband, and of course your favorite post podcast host in front of you, <laughs> uh, name one man who you believe is doing an amazing job for women around the world. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I don't watch the news uh, as much as maybe a lot of people feel that I should is because my, um, my belief is that I'm not going to go 
to Africa right now and affect change there right now. I'm just not. I'm like, I am not. I know I am not. I am here. <laughs> I am raising my babies. I am doing this. So my focus has always been on creating a change right here, right now, with the belief that if everyone did that, again, we would live in a very different world. So I would actually like to say um, um, uh, there's two men that come up for me. Brian Foster, who was our first board chair, and um, and uh, Dave Sweet, who um, I think... So Brian Foster used to be the ED of Operation Eyesight, and then he came to GEMS, and he's the reason why we were able to get off the ground in the first place without losing our charity status and everything yeah. because he guided me. He bubble-wrapped me often. Awesome. And because he knew what he was talking about, I knew I could be free and he would wrist slap when I was getting too close to the, <laughs> right. to the edge. And then Dave Sweet, he's a homicide detective and wow. he, yeah. And he, I think he's seen I think he said that uh, in his time, he's seen over 700 bodies and um, he came to gems um, because he wanted to be part of the solution as opposed to constantly being on the other end of it. But his, um, the grace that he works with the families with um, when they've lost someone is beautiful. The grace that he brings to gems is beautiful. He is always there. Anytime I call him, always will will make time for me. Always makes time for gems, and and I think it's it's about empowering the people to be able to know that making a change right in front of them matters, and and that spreads. It's awesome. You know, on behalf of all the men out there, it's great that we have men like that representing us. Yes. Um, why do you think people are not you know chasing after their dreams right now? Fear. You know, like you, you talked about that as far as you wanting to start a charity and not having the confidence. Yeah. What the heck does that even mean? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, wh- like, I think a lot of times people look at, at their dreams and think that they have to achieve it on their own. And oh my gosh, if I thought that for a second, I would never have done right. any of this. You know, I just didn't think about that. It was just like, oh, this is where I want to go. How the heck do I get there? Well, right. I don't know that. I don't know that. They do. So I think that... Um, I think that it, it removes a lot of the fear and therefore a lot of the barriers when you understand that it doesn't have to be just you, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you are stronger together as long as you're with the right people. And, yeah. And, and I think when, when we talk about fear, fear stands for false evidence appearing real. Right. So, we, so we, just we, we get more creative. Absolutely. Um, if you had 60 seconds with your 18 year old self, what words of wisdom would you tell her? Mm, I would say hang in there, keep manifesting and that you are capable of everything you could possibly imagine. How are you feeling right now? Emotional. <laughs> um, happy. And I just think you're fantastic. And this has been a beautiful experience. Thank you. I've never cried like this, Michael. <laughs> in an this is real. It's you're lovely. Awesome. And I've never, I've never been part of an interview that was as in-depth um, holistically. Yeah beautiful thank you no no thank you for being you thank you for being authentic um so what are you working on right now that uh you know you want to tell the listeners and get everyone excited about so um we are constantly looking for ways to be able to increase funds to be able to support the scholarship program obviously but due to how awesome the last ignite um program was um we want to do a series of them and they're open to the public and they're free and they're virtual and, uh, you know, so much about GEMS has been about people being willing to spread the word because, you know, you talk about one in three, it means that in every room there's survivors, there's current victims. 
And I think by people, GEMS has given a really lovely way for people to be able to positively focus um, and incorporate the topic of domestic abuse without polarizing men Mm -hmm. and without being accusatory or anything like that. It's given people an opportunity to be involved in something without saying, yeah, hey, I'm a victim and I need help or without without having to to answer to the um, why is it always focused on women, blah, blah, blah. It gives people it's unifying. Mm -hmm. And I think just spreading the word gives people a a safe way to be able to to participate and, and receive the messages. Love it. Love it. How can people follow you? How can they connect with you? Uh, on Facebook, we're Gems for Gems MPO. And on Instagram, we are Gems for Gems Canada. And then we also have a swag line. Okay. Um, and uh, it's Be the Change. Shocking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's just relaxed wear, like hoodies and, and T-shirts and that type of stuff. But that's another way to, again, live by uh, leading by example. And I believe in that so fully. And I believe that every time someone sees a shirt, that says be the change that they think about it. And it doesn't necessarily have to trigger them to think about um, being the change with domestic abuse, but it will trigger them to being the change in their own life, being the change in someone in, in their, in someone who needs them live and being the change with animals, whatever their thing is, it inspires them to activate. Mm-hmm. And I, I want gems to be that, to be a source of activation. It doesn't just have to be about domestic abuse. We are because that's, my passion, but mm-hmm. I want to inspire people to know that they can make a difference with whatever their passion is. Love it. Absolutely love it. You are certainly a game changer. Uh, Jordan, it's been an amazing hour. You know, it flew. Oh we could gosh, have talked yeah. for another <laughs> hour and a bit. Yeah. But, um, you know, we live in a very interesting world. Uh, I don't read a lot of the news predominantly because it's very negative. I asked you a question where you saw the world in the next five years, and it's tough to say. What I say with the bottom of my heart, if you continue doing what you're doing and we have more people like you being that change, the change that we see in five years is actually going to be a good one. So I'm actually quite optimistic and hopeful uh, how the world will look in the next five years. Um, thank you so much for sharing your message. Thank you so much for being the light that, that we need in a, in, in a dark time. Thank you for, for being that change. And um, Whatever support we can do, absolutely let us know. Thank you. Um, and if you're watching this, if you liked what you heard, please um, you know, connect with Jordan, be the change, be that person you want to uh, impact the world. Find your, find your, your, your calling, right? And, and forget about the fear. Uh, do what Jordan did, and she just went after it, and, <laughs> and she is going to be that change. The really cool thing is you can do that while you're wearing some really cool swag. So absolutely, <laughs> yes. it's going to help a great cause. Um, so if you like what you heard, we're trying to c- create a community here at Ready, Set, Rise of empowering people, people with amazing stories. And I think what Jordan really talked about was just collaboration, right? It, 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 takes, a, it takes a community to, or a tribe to raise a child, and, and the child that we're raising is the world, right? Uh, and we want to raise a really good world moving forward. So, uh, Jordan, thank you so much for your time. Everybody, uh, like, subscribe, comment. If there's something you loved about this episode, please let us know. And again, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, and uh, be that change. Take care.